Thank you for joining us as we walk with God. This is Brenda McCord. Walt and I are thankful for this opportunity to participate with The Awakening in America, an outreach of the Himmelreich Memorial Christian Library. Welcome, friends. You know, over the past few days, I've thought about the power of God's Word and the lessons we can learn when we take time to read and study, to think deeply about the truth that is written on each page in every book, in each chapter. And that certainly has been true as we have worked our way through the book of Esther. Today will be our final lesson from the book of Esther. And depending on where you are in the world, the holiday season has begun. It's starting. Um, we are truly thankful for many good gifts in our life, generous and bountiful from the hand of the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. Psalm 118.1. And even in the coming weeks, we look forward to the celebration of Christmas when we remember God's precious gift, for God so loved the Lord that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. And Walt and I invite you to join us for the future of these five weeks coming up, when we will have five different lessons Call, um, around a title called Bethlehem Story. So we hope you'll join us during the Advent season leading up to Christmas. Well, at the end of last week's lesson, the Jewish people were told to celebrate in Esther 9.19, set aside a day for gladness and feasting as a holiday and as a day on which they send gifts of food to one another. Today, let's pick up in verse 20 of Esther 9. And Mordecai recorded these things and sent letters to all the Jews who were in the provinces of King Ahasuerus, both near and far, obliging them to keep the 14th day of the month of Adar and also the 15th day of the same year by year as the days on which the Jews got relief from their enemies, and as the month that had turned for them from sorrow into gladness, and from mourning into a holiday, that they should make them days of feasting and gladness, days for sending gifts of food to one another and gifts to the poor. So the Jews accepted what they had started to do, and what Mordecai had written to them. You know, it's just so interesting. Do you see these words, sorrow to joy, mourning to celebration? Mordecai had ordered that the people be generous. They offer hospitality to each other. And there's even special mention of caring for the poor. That should mark this celebration. And you know, Brenda, even as that text continues, it talks about this. For Haman the Agagite, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them. And he had cast poor, that is, he cast lots, 
to crush and destroy them. That's that mourning piece. That's that's what they had been told that they, they needed to fast for. But when it came before the king, he gave orders in writing that his evil plans, Haman's evil plans that he had devised against the Jews should return on his own head and that he and his son should be hanged from the gallows. You know, this whole text, this morning turning to joy, um, it reminds me of Psalm 1. There's this interesting verse at the end, verse 6 of Psalm 1, where it talks about a blessed man, and then it talks about a wicked man. And it says this in summary, verse 6, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. He intimately knows the way of the righteous. But the way of the wicked will perish. Haman perished. And, and the righteous, the righteous continue to live because God had a plan for them. And as the text continues in verse 26 of chapter 9, therefore the, they call these days Purim, really a casting of Lot's days, um, because of all that was written in this letter, of all that happened to him. The Jews were firmly abdicated themselves and their offspring and all who joined them. Remember, a number of people joined them. They were fearful, and they said, oh, the Jews, they're God's special people. We want to join them, that these days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation. And here we are, 2,500 years later, and they're still being kept, that they be kept in every clan, in every province, in every city, and that these days of Purim should never fall into disuse among the Jews, nor should they com- the commemoration of these days cease among their descendants. You know, this holiday includes both f- fasting and gladness, and it's mentioned numerous times in these verses in chapter 9. nine. This, the fasting, but also the feasting. I mean, the fasting and the sorrow. Oh, we were almost destroyed, but then the feasting and the gladness. The Jews are to remember this important time. It's a time of rescue in their history. It's a time to celebrate. First to fast. Oh, we're going to be destroyed and then to feast oh god rescued us yeah and you know while as you're saying that i you know here in this chapter nine these words are used repeatedly we see them in verses 18 and 19 we see them again in 22 we're going to see them again at toward the end of this chapter in 31 and 32 and i i i i like i i don't really want to use the word like but I do read um, a lot of historical fiction pertaining to World War II and um, all that was involved there and um, just the the strength of the people in that time. And I actually read an article this past week, the Jewish people, you know, they were imprisoned in Nazi death camps, we know that, um, but they actually they celebrated Purim in those camps. And and there were actually Jewish, you know, people who, because they regularly, year after year, they'd go into the synagogue and they would listen to the book of Esther being read. They, they would, to the best of their ability, they would cite that um, in a group. And they, because that's part of what their celebration is, right? Going into the synagogue and listening to the book of Esther being read. And so even though their lives, I mean, they literally risked their lives to observe this holiday. If they were in a, one of the ghettos, if they were in a concentration camp, the death camps, um, if they were caught doing this, anything religious, anything pertaining to their Jewish beliefs, they would be put to death. 
But it was interesting, this one article, um, a group of men in Auschwitz, and just how horrible that place was, but literally stood around as one of the men recited Esther. And they didn't, I mean, they didn't have anything. These these people ate breadcrumbs, right? But they literally offered to one another pieces of stale bread. And, and of course, the reason is because this book promised the survival of the Jewish race because of the Abrahamic covenant. God was not going to let Hitler, he was not going to let um anyone destroy them. The, the, the Persian king, it doesn't matter. I mean, he's going to make sure Haman's not going to get victory and wipe out all the Jews because God has a plan and his plan isn't yet completed and he will preserve them. And all these years, these people hold on to what happened back in the Persian kingdom, what happened in that and how God provided for them. Well, continuing Queen Esther now comes in and she writes, remember, she has been given full authority by the king along with Mordecai. And it appears um, as we went through and have looked at some different commentaries and resources in our study, she actually writes this letter of confirmation supporting Mordecai's first letter. It's um, pertaining to the observance of Purim and how this is to continue. And she also now sends a letter out to all the Jews in all of the 127 provinces. And it's interesting, the text tells us here that she wrote in words of peace and truth. And as we dug deep into that and we were looking at what did that mean in words of peace and truth? You know, she's writing to her people and she's saying no more killing. No, Jews, don't, you don't need to kill. You're not being attacked. You're safe. You know, you're, it's, and other people, we're not, we're not doing this, but Jews, you're not killing. No one's killing the Jews. So there's peace. There's peace in the land. But then this word truth gives the idea of security, that they're now secure and that Mordecai has the position he does. Queen Esther, they've got the ear of the king. There is peace and there is security in the land. And in those days, Purim should be observed at their appointed seasons as Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther obligated them and their offspring were obligated with regard to their fasts and their lamenting. The command of Esther confirmed these practices of Purim and it was recorded in writing. The Jewish people are being called and that strong word there, obligated, and their offspring. This is to be passed on and on. And as we've shared, we have been in Israel during that month of March, um, and we have observed the Jewish people celebrating Purim all these years later. Yeah, and 2,500 years later, they, when we were there this March, that's what they're doing. And I want to just have a brief conversation about a theology of fasting and feasting. As I believe many Christians don't fast or feast in a biblical manner, um, a fasting was to be a time set apart for prayer and consecration to the Lord. The focus was a thoughtful consideration in our lives that would include our actions, our words, and our deeds. How are we living our life? And the time that normally would be spent on food 
preparation. And then the mealtime was to be devoted to seeking the Lord. It was a time of, of solemn consecration and saying, God, what are you doing? And what do I need to hear from you? But feasting is a time of celebration. It's a time of remembrance, a time of joy and gladness. And God invites each of these in our life. You know, the Mosaic Law mandated a number of these feasts in Leviticus 23. Um, the three greatest ones were Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. And they were to be celebrated in Jerusalem. And we see Jesus going to Jerusalem, even as a boy, to celebrate these feasts. But they also included unleavened bread and the Feast of Harvest, and the Feast of Trumpets, and the Day of Atonement. But, you know, Christianity also has a number of feasts in Christian circles. And and the two, of course, that are most revered are Christmas, or the Advent season, which will be beginning next week, and Easter, or the Lenten season. Christmas, when we celebrate the coming to earth of God's forever son to be the God-man Jesus. And Easter as we celebrate the Passover lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world, as John the Baptist said. You know, when Jesus, he invites his followers, not just to a Christmas feast for Advent or an Easter feast for Lent, he invites us to regularly come before him to participate in, in a feast of remembrance. Remember, do this in remembrance of me, Jesus said the last night he was with his disciples when he established the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table. And this is to remind us of the sacrificial death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that his body was broken for us and that his blood was shed on Calvary's cross. And because of that, we can have a relationship with the God of the universe. And I love just that we've included that portion in today's podcast, Walt, that idea of fasting and feasting. Oh, that we would participate in both of those activities and make those part of, um, as it is, our walk with the Lord on a regular basis. Well, we want to finish now with chapter 10, the final three verses in this book. King Ahasuerus imposed tax on the land and on the coastlands of the sea, and all the acts of his power and might, and the full account of the high honor of Mordecai to which the king advanced him, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Media and Persia? For Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Ahasuerus, and he was great among the Jews and popular with the multitude of his brothers, for he sought the welfare of his people and spoke peace to all his people. (laughs) We have to go back here to verse one. For the king, it's business as usual. We're back to business. It's time to collect taxes. If we look all the way back to Esther chapter 2 verse 18, we see the king gave a great feast for all his officials and servants. It was called the Esther's feast. Why? That's when he chose Esther to be his new queen. Well, he also granted a remission of taxes to the provinces, and he gave gifts of royal generosity. He's celebrating his new bride, right? I I wish he were king today. (laughs) Exactly. But he's celebrating, and he removed the taxes back in Esther too. And it's just interesting that the book closes, time to collect the taxes again. The king needs some more money in his treasury. That's the honest truth of what's happening there. And, And it tells us here that it's noted that 
Mordecai has high honor. The king, in fact, had promoted him. He's second in rank to the king. And this has been written in the official book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Media and Persia. Mordecai, he's great among the Jews. He's popular with his brothers. He sought the welfare of his people, and he spoke peace to all his people. Friends, doesn't that sound like a great leader? A lot of wonderful qualities for one who would lead people. Mordecai certainly was used by the Lord in a mighty way during this very crucial time in history. You know, even as we conclude this book and this time together today, I want to ask us to to consider a head to heart, and that's about celebrations. We had already mentioned this, a theology of celebrations, and do we celebrate well? How would the Lord want us to celebrate in the coming weeks? And remember, in the Hebrew mind, celebration always involved at least three aspects, that faith, that scripture was to be read to the people in public settings and in their homes. Do you celebrate with faith? But also family, and not just gathered together, but parents and grandparents teaching the next generation important truths about their faith. And then finally, food, but food that had important significance. For example, the food prepared for the Passover feast And the significance of Passover and the Passover lamb, which is especially attached to Christ and his sacrifice for us, it can't be missed in this Jewish feast. If you've never attended a Messianic Passover feast, please plan to do so and see Jesus, the Lamb of God, slain before the foundation of the world. Well, let's close this book and this time together today in, in prayer. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you for the book of Esther, and even though your name is never mentioned, your fingerprints are all over this book. You are protecting and providing for your people, the Jewish people, that you made promises to to Abraham, their father, and you said they they would be as numerous as the stars in the heaven and and, and the sand of the sea, Lord, that you would someday bring up to pass the coming of Messiah who would who would make sacrifice for the Jewish people and make sacrifice for all the world. For you so love the world that you gave your one and only son. And we thank you for that. Lord, what a celebration of all the days to celebrate, celebrating during the Christmas season when we realize that the eternal son came to earth to be the God-man Jesus. We should celebrate that well with faith and with family and just even times of food. But Lord, also just to remember that you have an even greater celebration coming when Jesus returns to earth and the King of kings and the Lord of lords takes up his rightful place on earth. And we long for those days, even as we watch the world creaming towards disaster and in such a mess. Father, thank you that we have a celebration. The best celebration ever is yet to come. So, Father, until we come together again, would you help us celebrate well all that you've put in our lives and all that you would desire for us to do as we continue day by day, moment by moment, to walk with God. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we walk with God. This is Brenda McCord. Walt and I are thankful for this opportunity to participate with The Awakening in America, an outreach of the Himmelreich Memorial Christian Library.